We started the year in a series looking at Isaiah 58. If you missed any of that, go back and listen to that. The verse that most captures my attention in Isaiah 58 is verse 12. Isaiah is writing to the exiles, and he, on behalf of God, is promising that they will get to return to their land, that God will answer their prayers, restore their fortunes. They have a hope and a future. And then verse 12 says this, Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Now, I love that language. Repairers and restorers of dwellings and streets and the breach. And, and, it, and it is this kind of compelling and beautiful imagery. But what we shouldn't miss is that it's also extremely practical. <laughs> like these are actual streets, actual walls, actual homes, actual piles of rubble that need to get cleaned up. You, you see, when, when Isaiah is talking to the people in exile, they are not getting warm, fuzzy spiritual feelings. They're thinking about actual places that have actual histories. And they've heard the stories, if they can't remember the situation themselves, of, of what that place looks like and what it would take to bring it back to its glory. And, and so in this verse, there is a, an invitation and a challenge to the people of God that when God brings us home, uh, God will have some work for us to do. That that returning to the land God has for us, that seeing God answer our prayers in these very particular ways will change our lives very literally, that we will collectively be involved in the restoration of this place. And in our weekly Bible study, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah. And what it takes about one week to discover in Nehemiah is that when God invites God's people into the work of God, it requires that you roll your sleeves up, <laughs> that you get your hands dirty, that you see yourselves as a part of the answer to the prayers you've been praying. So here's something that we all need to understand. As God is calling new community to a permanent church home, God is also calling all of us to see ourselves as caretakers in a very, very practical way for God's creation. That is going to be true of any facility that God provides for us. Any facility. It could be the nicest, most pristine, freshly built, everything taken care of facility. And we would be called to be caretakers of that facility. That is not the St. Ambrose situation. <laughs> it is sort of the opposite of that. Instead of one building, it's three buildings. Instead of being recently constructed, they're over 100 years old in various states of repair and disrepair. They are large. They are complicated. And so we as a community who is actively involved and prayerfully discerning, God, are you calling us to be the next generation of caretakers? we need to start getting our heads around what would that actually mean? What would that require of all of us? And by all of us, I literally mean everybody in this room today, unless you're literally, you know, just passing through on your way to a climate that doesn't have sleet and hail in April. This might be your first Sunday. You, you, you might be discerning, is God calling me? to this congregation. Well, this would involve and include you as well. This vision is not a vision for our church's leadership team. Amen? It's not a vision for our ministry staff or our ministry team leaders. This vision is for all of us. We would be called to be a community of caretakers. And so this morning, I've invited some friends who know something about taking care of buildings. 
and facilities. And we're going to have a very, very practical conversation to try to help us begin imagining what would this look like for us? What would we be saying yes to? What would it look like for all of us to say yes to God's invitation to care for these facilities? I'm hoping that we all walk out of here a little, a little bit more soberly than we walked in. <laughs> I'm hoping that these friends will help us to picture this call in a certain kind of way where we go, oh, we really need to discern whether God is calling us to this or not. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so let me invite these friends to to come on up and to join me here. We're going to start with introductions very, very briefly. Um, So you all go ahead and pull out those those mics. Uh, We're going to start with Caitlin there on the end. Uh, Tell us your name and tell us why you're sitting here today. And don't say, I don't know, because you know. We all have different experiences, different perspectives. That's why there's a a group of us up here. So uh, your name and then... Uh, in a sentence or two, what are you kind of bringing to this conversation? My name is Caitlin Sobek Kim, and I was invited by Pastor David to help the building team, one of the three teams, to what does it mean to do due diligence on this building project? Um, My historical take on managing buildings comes from being a pastor at the other new community, Covenant Church, five years ago. And I was hired there, and then three months later, someone whispered in my ear, I think we're going to buy this big old Lutheran church. And it was a similar situation. We had only rented. We were in three different spaces consolidating into a really old church building we knew nothing about. And so that's kind of my history with old church buildings, ownership um, from start to finish. Uh, my name is Amy Calkin, and I have a building that's about as old as St. Ambrose. <laughs> my name is Carlos Dotson. Um, I um, was one of the earlier members at New Community Logan Square, and we visited many small churches and started a building fund, um, went through that process, and then here... Um, the earlier discussions of what it looked like for us to have a, a building and, and how to start a building fund. Uh, other than that, um, in the past, I've worked for a church in Memphis, and we've done that journey from smaller church to medium-sized church to large church. I have a brick with my name etched in it for a fundraiser. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. <laughs> so that's my experience with that sort of that process. Hey, good morning. My name is uh, William Jackson, and I would say my experience has been just through my career. I've I've uh, been involved with companies or organizations that have purchased uh, properties and buildings and did things with them, um, as well as um, we own a, a couple of businesses that we manage as well. So um, that um, is what I'm hoping to bring some conversation to the table with. Uh, my name is Warren Skipper. Um, I've been involved in this process uh, for a long time. So I'm the chair of the leadership team. Uh, I was on the capital campaign team, and I've shifted over to the building team. And um, and so I've, I've been in all of the discussions and decisions for this building. Also, uh, I have a, a three-flat that is as old as St. Ambrose also. <laughs> So as uh, and and then an architect. So it's a lot of different things that bring it to this. All right. So you get the idea of why these folks are up here, right? Uh, they 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 know a few things, uh, many many more things than I know. So we can pass the mic to William. So here's how this is going to work. I, I have about four or five questions. I'm going to ask these folks, and then we're gonna actually going to open it up for you. We want to have a, a, a kind of conversation. So be thinking about questions that you have for them. If something doesn't quite make sense and you want clarification or bring something up, just be ready to, to pose uh, that question. So, uh, uh, William, when, when most of us see the three buildings at the former St. Ambrose, and many of us here have had the chance to visit those, those facilities, we probably don't see all of the things that need to be thought about to ensure that they are actually being cared for well. I watched people walk into the building that night, and everybody's kind of like, what? Just 
just it keeps going up and up and up and up and up. But I know you're looking around and you're seeing, you kind of are looking at it through a different lens. So as someone who has experience in renovating and, and managing properties, what are the categories that you think about when it comes to facility care? And what would be some of the, the things in those categories that we would need to be thinking about? Yeah, Pastor, you're right. I I went into the building and I was looking at it very differently. I I find it interesting we say buildings. I say campus at this point. Um, You may not like that, but that's kind of how I I think of it. And I think the the three categories is around security and safety. When I think about that first and, sorry, when I think about that and my past experiences, uh, security and safety, then I would say the other thing is communication and ability to actually communicate across that many that much space. And then the, the last one, probably really clear to people, is the maintenance of, of, the, of, the, of uh, the campus. And I guess if I start to break it down and go into it, from a security standpoint, that, that probably rings the, probably the nearest and closest to my heart than safety. Um, just, you know, people want to be in a safe space. They want to be able to come and, and know things are going to be taken care of. And I, and I think about all the things, the cameras you need and um, uh, security and um, just all of the things that can potentially happen that you want to be in front of. You know, in our businesses, it's, whether it's theft, whether it's people trying to put water on the ground, slip and fall. I, I mean, you, you can think of the various things that can happen. And I just think us, you know, um, as we're stewarding this property, there's a, a number of things to look out there. Um, I guess moving into communication, as I was talking about, just the ability, if you think about it, you have people across three buildings, and in any buildings there's multiple stories, multiple places. What if a kid runs off and goes into a cubbyhole? What if somebody comes in that you don't know? Having that ability to reach out and connect with people across that campus at all times is important. You know, it's nothing more, you know, a little bit of... Um, I'm thinking about when we get an alarm call in the middle of the night, and I'm like, oh, what's happening? What's going on? And you have to respond having staff for that. It just, you could keep going and going with these things, to be, to be honest. And, but I think about how we're going to set up a structure and mechanisms and processes to deal with this on an ongoing basis. And then maintenance. It, it just never ends. I don't care what. what if your home, your apartment, this campus... Um, you know, but the immediate ones that come to concern for me is I think the HVAC heating and air conditioning when I go into the buildings and I, and I look at it and the cost that kind of comes along with that and keeping it regularly maintained. Um, clearly, there's, you know, the winter landscaping. You don't you, you think these things are small, but when there's a blizzard and a storm, have you made sure that there's ice and shoveling taking place that no one comes along and slips? Um, these things just, they're always on your mind when you're, when you're thinking about them. And they can, they, in, in, a, in a way, you can also um, somewhat get overwhelmed with it if you don't have the support and things in place because it's always on your mind you're thinking about this. Um, and, and with maintenance, like I said, there's so many things from light bulbs to checking windows to drywall getting chipped and broke and painting. I mean, it just can go on and on. So um, that's kind of my, I guess, um, high-level view and things that for people to think about in terms of, you know, when I, 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 use, I use, think of this example, when we're asking people just to, you know, help out with the kids, it's going to be helping out with all of this. And I think it's just, um, it's just nice to be aware that 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 will be some callings, I think, for, for a number of us. So um, when I tell you that William just kind of scratched the surface... Um, of these categories, uh, he just scratched the surface. And so it may be that some of, some of us have questions about this. But I want to go to Caitlin and, and Amy now. Um, given the amount of space, what shape the facility is in and so on, we will need to think about what work is done when on each facility. And it seems to me that there's two ways to think about this. One the work that is absolutely essential to make the facilities safe and secure, as well as getting CCA, Cambridge, into the school building quickly. And then secondly, the timelines related to the different items that, that William has identified here. 
Um, so, Caitlin and Amy, you're both currently very involved with the logistics side of this project. How do you think about these different competing priorities? Caitlin, maybe we can start with you kind of talking about the essential work that would need to be done in order to, to move in. Yeah, I tried to print out, if you see me looking at a piece of paper, we have a massive inspection report that's come back from quite a few different people, specifically the whole campus, as William mentioned, but there's four specific buildings. I know we've, you've heard probably about three of those that people would occupy. There's a fourth just for the boilers that is uh, deteriorating very quickly. Um, so I'm going to talk about the immediate repairs. What do I mean by immediate? The building has been vacant for three years, and that means that there's quite a bit of things falling apart when you step into each of the buildings. So we're trying to, by immediate, um, there's two different immediate categories. Like right when we step in, before anyone can operate in the building, and then probably three to six months after would be our second category of immediate that would need to be followed up on quickly once our more funding comes in. So I'm going to try to define the first category that that immediate that I just talked about. And I'm going to focus on the two buildings, the church building and the school building. The other two buildings, I think those fall in that second category, the rectory building, as well as the boiler house, which is going to take a lot more repair. Um, But we won't have very many folks going into those buildings immediately. So the church building, as we've talked to the inspectors and gotten bids back, the two main areas that need work right away are masonry work to stop the leakage from outside. And we could go into more detail, but even in the masonry work, we're identifying what would stop a leak versus what's going to be the complete repair of that wall. So you can imagine the masonry people are bidding the entire work. Um, We're hopeful to bring this building up to a flourishing state where we can say this whole wall is in really amazing shape versus how can we operate in that in the short term and the near to long term. So the second area is the concrete stair and replacement. There's quite a few stairs as you walk into the church building as well as the school that need to be repaired before we have folks going into the entrance of the building. And then third is plaster wall refinishing and repair. So you can imagine if you have a leak in a corner, and we have pictures of all the extreme leakage areas. If there's water coming in, first we repair the wall, then we repair the plaster and the internal part of that wall. Um, I have in my own basement, I had folks paint over a thing that they thought repaired, and there's leakage still coming in, and that paint is ruined. So I don't want us to be in a situation where we're duped we're wasting money on multiple times, if that makes sense, to repair the same work. So the second building here is the school. How can we establish CCA to operate out of the school building well? And how long will it take us to get them in there for a school year? So the three areas here are the, you're gonna hear a lot of repeated information. Tuck pointing masonry walls, replace window lintels at the first, there's, very detailed areas where the there's been water leakage in the school. There's also a place in the gym that we've identified that needs to be looked out further before people actually are running around in there. And then window replacement. There's specific areas in the school that need one or two window replacements. There's further down the line, we're scoping out entire window replacement on all three buildings to give you an idea. But this is, again, just the immediate work that needs to take place. And the last one for the school, again, is the plaster wall refinishing and replacement. Um, and that would be specific to where water has come in and where that, that tuck pointing or masonry work can take place. And I just wanted to share that a big prayer request from our side There's grants out there to cover all of this work. So you can be praying even as we discern if we're supposed to step into this building and be caretakers. I think the funding is there. It's just the timing piece of when we need the work done versus how the funding will come in. So you can be praying about that. That's super helpful. Uh, Amy, how are you thinking about timelines for these things? So y'all overwhelmed yet <laughs> by the list. Um, so I, w- I was thinking about, like, uh, in, in my building, it, it was 20 years before it was 
nicely livable for 25 years, like where I'm like, oh, come on over to my house because I wasn't living in the back half or whatever. And and that's so it doesn't it is immediate. I'm not trying to say it's not immediate, but um, in terms of prioritizing, the answers are: Do we have the money? Like, do we move right into that and just use a corner of the sanctuary? And that's all we can swing right now, right, until the grants come or whatever. Because if God has us to be the caretakers, he's not asking us to get into any debt. He's not asking us to get, in, you know, into, uh, yeah, focusing outside of how he's called us to operate, which we've been doing. And so um, in terms of prioritizing, it feels like, uh, like William was saying, we need people to be able to get in there and feel safe. How does that happen? I, th- I feel like that can look like there could be four different stages. Um, yeah, and so I think that's true of like all the things that William mentioned. I mean, all, some of them have to happen immediately, but we can do with what we have or who we have, right? So it feels, yeah, I don't think it, so I got to go in Saturday and I got to see the whole thing because I took an HVAC guy through and it was awesome. <laughs> Seriously. Like, I was so geeked out. I mean, I like all that stuff. Like, how does that work? How does, you know, all that. But, um, yeah, I just want to say don't don't let the overwhelmed overwhelm the um, God as I provider in this. Um, and the priorities will be um, according to or as we are able and as we discern, right? This field, we said the other day, youth. Youth still stay important, so that... How will we figure it out so that that gets first priority? So, Thanks, Amy. Uh, hold on. Okay. We, we, if we can, we'll come back. Um, we're going to go to Warren now to talk about hospitality for a second, um, which is something that's been very important to us as a church for, for a while. Um, moving into a building that we own and have access to throughout the week, which would be brand new to us, um, as well as having responsibilities to care for, is going to impact how we show hospitality to our neighbors and to our guests so, Warren, you're someone who lives in the immediate vicinity of uh, St. Ambrose. Is it like going to be even a shorter walk to church for you if we end up there? Um, and you've also spent a lot of time poking around these facilities. You've been in cracks and crevices that others of us have not been in. So how do you think about the opportunities and challenges that these facilities present to us as it relates to showing hospitality? Okay, so I'll speak on the... Um the opportunities first. Uh, so San Ambrose sits right at the corner of 47th and Ellis, and it's a huge church. So it automatically is going to be a beacon of hopefully hope and uh, a place where you can uh, be close to God. Um, it being so and being so large, uh, the first thing that I'm thinking we need to think about are the people who are going to be coming from like the front and these grand stairs, and then the sides. And there's two things I'm thinking about, people, and then I'm thinking about atmosphere. When they come in the front, this is a big church, and based on however it was set up inside, they may have a long walk if they come from the front <laughs> all the way to the back. So how can we be, or what I'm thinking about is, how can it not be like an overwhelming, ooh, man, this is crazy, and pretentious church to it being a, no, this is a small church. We just happen to be in a big space and, uh, and how we keep the same character that we have now. So that will involve the people, uh, welcoming them in as they come in being friendly, not even just the hospitality team or, uh, members, but everybody who's, uh, at the church, uh, during that day. And then also when we come to atmosphere and I have a lot of a lot of thoughts about that. So um, I guess how can we bring it down to human scale? It can be done through people, uh, but there, it, it, a lot of it will depend on how we as a church populate it with our chairs, with uh, signage, across um, anything and instruments and all of that stuff. And it can help to direct people straight to where we want them to go. But these are things that we need to be thinking about and that I think about a lot. So I'm going to ask Carlos a question and then a kind of a, a, a speed round for everybody and then open it up to Q&A. So to, to prime you to, to ask uh, some questions here. 
caring for our own facility is going to significantly raise our visibility in the neighborhood, like Warren just mentioned, and present new opportunities for community engagement. Um, Carlos, you also live uh, in the neighborhood. You also, I would say, know the St. Ambrose buildings better than most of us, given your uh, time being associated with Cambridge. Um, So how do you see these buildings impacting our community engagement? What role could these buildings play, and what will that require of us? I'm going to qualify this by saying I'm very long-winded, so I'm glad you guys are sitting down. (laughs) So if Pastor Michelle starts going like this... (laughs) What's the song, the, you know, the tap dancer from (laughs) Apollo. (laughs) Uh, So just giving you guys a little history of this neighborhood, right? So my house, I live right down the block, built in 1883. This wasn't part of Chicago, separate area, was that Kenwood was once the richest area in the whole state uh, at a certain point of time. But then, you know, there was transition, University of Chicago moved here, There was a line set on 47th Street that said, this is where we're going to invest in. This area, we're not. Uh, So lots of interesting things in the neighborhood. Did you guys know that at one point when uh, the Japanese returned from their internment camps that there's two places in Chicago area they settled, and this was one of the neighborhoods. So the church right down the street was a Japanese church with the... Japanese pastor, and there's transitions with so rich, rich history, and so what what I've been able to notice is that, um, and I've experienced with I used to work for a church in Memphis is that it's this you know there's rich churches in neighborhoods, and as the the travel and the journey towards the suburbs happens, the 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 rich churches with a lot of resources eventually go outward. And so what's left in the city where there's needs and challenges, you know, there's struggling churches or churches that usually don't have as many resources. The other part is there's churches that get older. And so even the church in Logan Square was a result of a, was it Luther? What was it? Swedes or what? what the, I forgot which, which European country mostly populated the church. And they got older and they got smaller and... They couldn't sustain the church. And so a lot of these churches here are the same. And so as I see it is that, you know, what are we to do in this community? What are we going to provide? And so the other interesting tidbit is that not far there's a mosque. Not far there's a a Jewish temple. Not far there's a Mormon facility. So this is a very rich area. um, And we're at a very great point. And so... Uh, to say that is that what I've seen in the past and with the churches I've been with is that the building becomes the ministry. And so we do everything to support the building. I, I, I had a church, I was with the church that the biggest budget was what we do to the building, but missions budget was tiny. Feeding the homeless was non-existent. You know, what do we do to do anything to help people with housing or anything? We, we didn't do any of that. We just celebrated how big the church was and how we take care of us and how we grow with the numbers. So the metrics were numbers going up and how nice our building was. And so that's the, the, the great thing I feel about our church is that we're already oriented to be a good neighbor. And what can churches do in a neighborhood? They can be the connector. They can be the place where people get to talk and hold rallies. We can host people. We can be a, a central place to, to gather to feed the homeless. So all of those different things, I feel like that we have, being here, God's like purposely placed us here to be in a specific community. And that we are focused to stay in a community. Because we could just look for a building, right? We can be anywhere if we just look for a building. But we were waiting for God to be in this neighborhood. And so I am really excited. I know, small story. I told you I was long-winded, so I warned you. (laughs) When we were looking for our house, Michelle was like, why do we need a house this size? We don't need a I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I was telling Michelle, it's like, do you know what we could 
we could do for people? She's like, huh, whatever. And so like a neighbor had a fire, and they stayed in our house for over a year. Right? We had a friend that had a divorce. It was like, come, stay with us. You can stay here for a year. And so it's, it's the posture of the resources that God has given you. Are, you know, as, a, as we say that we're Christians, that our, everything we have belongs to God. Is that really true? And as God blessed, blessed us with the opportunity with the building, is this going to be a place for, for us to serve our community? And Lord, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to be a, a place that's on the hill, that's right in front, that's standing up, but not to sit there and awe it, like, oh, this is a magnificent building. Oh, we're very comfortable and warm and worshiping here. But wh- how can we use this more? So I am a chair of the board for Cambridge. That's the school that's going to be moving in. My daughters have been there since they were three years old. And so we've, they were in that building since 2010. So very familiar with that. Lots of repairs that I've personally done that <laughs> may be in disrepair now, but they were, they were pretty good before. <laughs> uh, lots of graduations in the sanctuary for the eighth graders. Um, so um, that place is very special to the school, um, and it's very good Christian education. And so I just see, I'm just amazed at how God, you know, for, even for NCO, you know, like we were just in the facilities. We're like, as the, the need for NCO grows, we don't have enough space, right? And now it's pointing to after school stuff, but we don't have enough space to to continue to grow. And the amazing thing of God bringing the school and NCO and the church in the same neighborhood, right, for us to serve the community. And so I just hope in the future that we don't fall into that trap of the building, right, and how special our building is, that nothing that God says that for us to do with this building, whether it's feeding the homeless or whatever it is, or people, you know, just whatever, that we see that as a tool for God to serve this particular community. Yeah, 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 that's good, that's good. Um, And that actually sets up this last lightning round where we'd love to hear from each of you uh, briefly. Um, so, So one of the things that has always worried me about our church owning a building is what you just talked about, the way it can distract from the ministry that God has called us to. Over the past 13 years, it has become very obvious that we don't need a building to be faithful to God's call. On the other hand, we have discerned that this is the right time to search for a permanent home, whether that ends up being the former St. Ambrose or not. We understand that there are opportunities to live more fully into our identity as a reconciled and reconciling community for God's glory and our neighbor's good that will come with a facility of our own. So could each of you please briefly share something that will be helpful to ensure that any future facility is a ministry resource and not a ministry distraction? So start with Caitlin and we'll come down this way. When I think about uh, this specific question, what comes to mind is how we will define what the space will be used for and who has a voice in that. So I think about the students in NCO that are served. How will, how will their voice be heard when the rectory is developed? I think about the students that CCA serves. How will that organization's voice and those students will be heard when we develop or how, how they own the space? And for the church, what areas of ministry will we increase the budget um, for youth and children and the various things that we already have going on and see fruit in rather than developing a new campus building or something like that. In addition, um, it reminds me of a conversation I had with our youth pastor at the time when Logan's building was going on. And that building or that budget had always been so meager and that was so fruitful and one of the largest growing populations of the church. And it was this dichotomy, like this really tension point of, God has blessed the church with children and outreach and such. And 
it was a call to how will we put as much energy into that budget line item to the building. And so having that, when I speak to an architect, that defined when those decisions go to drawings from that point all the way to the LT developing a budget every year. How will that question and what's the process, right? It can become siloed a lot in churches. So I think about how will the LT know the information before that decision needs to be made. I would say that um, there's a temptation to, to when you move into a big place to ha- to scale to meet the place, and I don't I don't think we need to do that. Like we're doing what we do ministry wise in the space we're doing with what we have right now. So it and we're going to benefit from the space. We're busting out the seams at the ministry center. I, I get that, but we we don't have to scale up. Right, we just have to keep doing ministry. If this is where God has us, I was thinking partners are going to come. I didn't know about the after school. That's so cool. I mean, the ideas that some people have had, those will all be churned in the mix. And eventually, as God works it out and we are able to do it, then He'll He'll meet us there. But the, I think that's how we um, keep it ministry focused: is we just keep doing what we're doing, and then we add gently as as God calls us. Uh, so um, I think I think some of the things are already done, right? For us to even be at this point of purchasing, it was a, it's more of a conservative route, and I, I think that's setting ourselves up for success. You know, we're not purchasing on hope. We have to have a certain amount of money before we. It's not like we're one percent down payment and just you know. So so I think that's setting yourself up to success because because you know thinking about a payment that you can't make or something like that can really overwhelm a church and overwhelm your house, <laughs> your own personal house. Uh, the second thing is I would love to approach it as if we're new to the neighborhood, just like we were when we were a church planner when we first came to Kennecott. Even though it's right down the street, you may say, oh, we're just, we're still in the area, but it's still, we still should approach it as if we're brand new get to know our neighbors, you know, get to speak to people's, you know, just the community engagement. Um, I think that's sort of how we should approach it as well. And I, and I think if we manage it, we have to focus on just being a good church and worshiping and the normal things we do here, as well as all the, like, stuff that we'll mention, but not let it overwhelm what we do. We can't, it, the focus shouldn't be, property managers that yeah. shouldn't yeah. be the ministry um, so that's that's sort of the things that uh, thanks yeah this, this actually is a very tough question for me um, because uh, to, to be in full transparency I'm, I'm I really want this for the church but there was a part of me that thought that this was a lot or maybe too much and it's not because of my faith it's not because I'm lacking it's, it's none of those things it's just let's be reality. And so I'm glad the pastor put the question the way he did to have me focus on the positive as opposed to the (laughs) negative. Um, I, I appreciate that. And so I would say, I heard a little bit this with this last Sunday. I don't know if it was John or Greg, where they were talking about fatigue and, you know, the, the, the road ahead. And I guess that is what I would say we need to just be very aware of and conscious of for ourselves individually. Because it can quickly, I think, turn into, wow, I know we're saying all these things about budgets and the line items and things like that. But, you know, a lot of those things get lost when you're dealing with your own personal issues or things that come up. And so I just um, be asking for strength and probably for regular ongoing communication, whether it's little panels like this, but something that's keeping people aware and also hearing their concerns and the things that may be draining them from the system that they may not have reached out or raised their hand to speak of or to say. So just just having those things open. So those are my thoughts to that. Before Warren shares, I want to invite our hospitality uh, team to come grab the, the two mics on the sides here. You may need to turn them on. And if you um, have a question, just get your hand up and uh, these folks will get, get you the mic. Uh, so one way I'm thinking that, well, the important way, way to me to uh, make sure that we focus on ministry is participation. 
And like uh, Pastor David said at the beginning of this, this will be a church for all of us, not just members, but people who are there at the time. And the same things that we are doing here, which is participating in different ministry, um, like uh, hospitality or Kid City or something like that, other things that uh, I would hope all of us do there. Um, yeah. Uh, also, I guess, um, well, hold up. I had something in my mind, but I forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, well, anyway, participation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the other thing is that we have developed values here since the time that we have been at this church, moving from Drake to here. We're going to develop new values as we go there, and that's going to involve a lot of more ministries, a lot of new things and new areas that we're thinking about. And so everybody participating will take a little bit of burden off of everybody else who is participating. The more people who are involved, the less pressure it is on everybody else, and it helps everybody to focus on what's important rather than, oh, I got to get this thing done before church starts or something like that. And so I hope that everyone sees this, if we do end up getting this building, as this being our church and not just a you know building that we got and that uh, you would want to be involved. Yeah. All right. Christine, um, if you can stand up when you ask the question so folks can see you. And uh, as we like to say in panel discussions, uh, we're looking for questions and not comments. Um, and some of you may have questions, but you're not comfortable asking them in front of everybody. That's fine. Come grab one of these folks afterwards. Grab me, and I'll make the introduction. Uh, we want to make sure that, that you feel able to, to do that. Oh, guys. Oh, I don't like speaking in front of people. Okay. But, um, Caitlin, you mentioned that um, you were a part of, like, a church transitioning from a space or not being renters into a building. So as we think about new community, being renters for 13 years, going into a space, how do you think that affects the culture? And as we're transitioning um, in this moment of change, um, still discerning, but thinking ahead, how can we as a community like connect our history, but then also change together well um, as part of our culture of a church? That's great. So Caitlin, can you take that? We'll do our best to, to probably limit our responses to one person just so we can get more questions. So if you have a question, put your hand up and these folks will come. That's a great question. Um, I think the two things come to mind is one, communication to all the different ministries and all the different leaders and all the different fo- members and on con- congregational as well. How are people receiving the information? Uh, we often show up, you know, even my family, I'm like, was I there that Sunday when I, when did you, where did you hear that piece of information? I didn't hear that. So figuring out ways for information to flow in ways where everyone is caught up on what's going on. Number two, it's going to be a process. Um, I have a lot of memories where, you know, I knew all the information and I still was like, wow, this is a growing process for myself, for our church, for our staff team, for To be a good neighbor, what does that mean as a congregation when you own the step that someone's stepping on that could potentially, you know, crumble? Or just being aware of those specific practicals, but also, in a sense, like when you have a conversation with someone on the street and... What is, how, does it, how do we take up space well and hospitable as a congregation? That's great. Thank you. Hi. First of all, thank you all for you know, using your expertise to move this project forward. Um, my question is, will we eventually need to hire a facilities person or have a role? Um, just because I'm thinking of, like, even if we have a building team, like, I don't want you all to burn out. Or, like, you all have other jobs and... Uh, yeah, like if we're going to have someone who's going to be able to devote more time and energy in the long-term care of the building. William and Warren, could you each briefly speak to... We, the short answer is we don't know exactly, but you both have experience around this, so please chime in. Yeah, I, I would think that would be highly recommended. Um, that would be my thought. Only, you know, one of the institutions I was at was at the Art Institute. And as you can imagine, that's like a 150-year-old building. And we had dedicated teams to to manage that site and facility people, engineers, and so forth. 
and, and this building strikes me as that. Obviously, it's not as big. It's not as big. So before we say, oh, it's not as big. But, but it strikes me that you need that type of or you want that type of regular expertise on site that, that guides you for. And, again, maybe not near term, short term. All of those things have to be decided. But I would think you, you need to be thinking that way. Uh, so I agree with uh, with William that um, would be advised to have someone who is there regularly, like a building engineer. Um, so this is one of the things that the building team is talking about right now, all of the aspects of maintenance and repairs and everything that needs to be done, as well as the leadership team, which we'll be talking about uh, and then our next meetings coming up to the actual purchase of the building if we do that. Where's the budget in there? You know, where are the funds going to come from to pay for someone to do that? So this is all being discussed and thought of. So to answer your question, hopefully we will. Yeah. Okay. Just, gonna... just real quick, you don't necessarily have to hire a full-time person. There are contracts with HVAC where they take care of it, set amount, right? And then, you know, so there, there's ways around it where we don't have to hire an FTE just for... You know, we're not that big. Okay, over here. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you all for sharing. And my question is around um, with a list, like you've described, how, in accordance with some of our values, Sabbath rest fits in kind of thinking about not being able to walk away and knowing someone else is going to care <laughs> but it's a non-going process and how to balance that. Amy, could you speak to that? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think the, va the bigger value is us in community, right? Because I feel like my first instinct is to just keep doing, right? So I need somebody to ask me, when was your last Sabbath? Or what day are you taking? Or... And not just me, I think all of us involved, right? Are you, are you, able, to, are you able to kind of sit in God has this <laughs> in a way I can't ever have it? And so it feels like that's one of the areas where we're going to um, reach toward each other. And I'm going to look out for you and you're going to look out for me. And uh, those of us who are prone toward the doing instead of but we'll need special. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I want to add very briefly that personally, um, this whole process has feel, felt like a bit of a test. God does not tempt us, but God does test us. And you all know that Sabbath is a uh, is kind of the, the, the single note to the song that I sing. <laughs> um, and there's been multiple times where I have felt like, I'm being tested of whether I'm going to keep my Sabbath or not. Because it's crazy how many really important meetings have gotten scheduled on my Tuesday Sabbath. Uh, and I have had to be at some of those meetings. And then there's been others where I have said, I'm, I'm not going to go to that meeting. There's been building tours that I've not gone on. There's been conversations with very important people that I've not been a part of. And what I can testify is that it's probably been better that I wasn't there. <laughs> That by me not being there, other more capable, thoughtful, wise people were in the mix to lead our church in that. Still tough for me, but I do think there's a way in which the season that we're in is an opportunity for us to put into practice what some of us have been learning over this season. And if, if Sabbath was God's invitation when things felt a little less whatever, it's still God's invitation now. Um, okay, so for maintenance and, like, capital improvement and um, construction services, I heard a lot of um, what and when as in timelines, but I would also like us to consider, um, like, by whom? Like, who, which contractors are we um, acquiring their services? And as possible, right, but, like, there are so many amazing nonprofits, like similar to NCO, that are working towards gun violence prevention and um, have like workforce pathway programs or place 
um, folks into uh, specific employers that they work with. And so it would be really awesome if we use our role as like, um, you know, uh, to, you know, property managers to also be ministers and using um, employers that are giving people a second chance. So I know that you all thought about this some, right? Caitlin, do you want to just give a brief update yeah. on how you've been thinking about that? There, the thinking on that is what you described. Um, and also I'll add a request to that. Um, the ways that we've been able to get in touch with folks. So if you, my one ask here is if you have thoughts about that and how that process should be formed, that's in development. And second, if you have relationships with organizations that would fall in line with what Michaela said, please, please, please reach out to me. We've often had um, whoever has a relationship reach out and CC someone from the building team to maintain that relationship so they know like who the liaison is there. Um, but that relationship has been key because contractors are really busy. And there's like, I've had multiple big contractors tell me, we'll see if you hear back from me, you know, kind of thing of we have way too much work to fit into the summer that's ramping up right now. And so that the relationship has been key in that. And also awareness. I, there's, we've been, there's some requirements from the city grants that we're going after of what kind of contractor we can work with. And so if you're aware of people who have those relationships and you have those contacts, we would love to hear and chase down and co connect with all those folks. So we'll take one last question. I'm going to invite our worship team to, to come on back up. Testing, testing, okay. Um, so we talked a lot about the inspector report that we've gotten, how large it is. I'm curious if we've had these conversations directly with St. Ambrose or the diocese in terms of the lessons that they learned in managing their building over the many decades that they were stewards or caretakers of the property, um, and if we've used that wisdom to inform what kind of maintenance plans we should have, et cetera. I might be best positioned to answer that. The, the answer is yes. We have reached out to the archdiocese in multiple ways for that information. And we have gotten some answers, uh, not nearly as much as we would have uh, liked. I don't think that's the end of the story. I think as we have opportunities, uh, assuming that we do purchase the building, to reach out to the actual people who are doing the maintenance, if we can be introduced to them, we, we will be able to do that. The Archdiocese belongs to the largest organization in the entire world, uh, which means that they're not nimble or quick uh, to respond to humble little new community covenant church all the time. So we have received, you know, things like uh, utility costs, um, but some of those more practical things, Greg, that we would find really helpful in terms of continuity has been harder to get. So we're not giving up yet, but that that is been the experience thus far. So my guess is that there's other questions. Grab these folks afterwards. If you want a personal introduction to them, find me and I'll make sure to do that. Thank you for your questions. Can we thank these folks both for sharing, but all that they're doing to lead us right now. Thank you all.